Good evening. Good to see everyone tonight. It is good to be back with you. Of course, we were gone Sunday. We went to Mississippi to see my son graduate from the Memphis School of Preaching. And Sunday morning, we had the privilege of going to his new work where he is preaching. And it's the first time that we had really heard him preach in a long time. And uh, I don't know if it's okay to say this or not, but he was awesome. So <laughs> um, you don't you don't want to just brag on your son, but I was blown away. He did a really good job. So uh, we were very impressed and uh, enjoyed that. And then, of course, we got to go to the graduation, and uh, that was enjoyable. And then last night, I spoke uh, just outside of Knoxville, and I visited with the North Hamilton Church over there, and I had a good visit. But we are glad to be back home. All right, we are in the book of Acts, and we are in chapter 12. Now, let me bring us up to speed here. In Acts chapter 11, in the end of the chapter, there is a prophet named Agabus who goes from Jerusalem. In fact, let me get us to our map here. He goes from Jerusalem, and he comes up to Antioch. You can see Antioch up at the top right corner of the Mediterranean Sea. At this point in time, Jerusalem is the hub of the Jewish church. Now that Gentiles have been brought in, Antioch becomes the hub of the Gentile church. And so Acts 11.26, the disciples are first called Christians in Antioch. And so what we're going to see is some of the disciples are going to come, some of the prophets are going to come from Jerusalem up to Antioch. When they get there, what we're going to find out is there is a specific prophet named Agabus, and he is going to tell them that there is a famine coming. Well, when the Gentile brethren hear that there's a famine coming, they're concerned about the brethren in Jerusalem, and so they take up a collection, and they give it to Paul and Barnabas to take to the brethren in Jerusalem. So this is uh, an outpouring of love by the Gentile church going back to the Jewish church. And of course, they're all the same uh, church, but you've got a lot of racial divide at this point in time. All right, while that is going on, Paul and Barnabas have this money. They're going back to Jerusalem. In chapter 12, meanwhile, King Herod decides that he is going to persecute the church. And so he kills James. Now, I mentioned to you last week that um, James, this is James, the brother of John, and I mentioned to you Mark 10.35, where James and John had come to Jesus, and they said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. And he said, What do you want me to do? That's quite a request, isn't it? Lord, we're going to ask you something, and whatever it is, will you agree to grant it? And he says, What is it? And they said, We want one to sit on your right hand and the other to sit on your left hand. That is... They're thinking there's going to be an earthly kingdom and he's going to have a throne and they want, they want each of them to be on one side. And he said, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? They don't know what he's saying, but they said, yes, we can. And he said, indeed, you're going to. What he is talking about is the suffering that he's going to endure. He's telling them that they are going to endure. And verse 38, but Jesus said unto them, 
you know not what you ask for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said, we are able. Jesus said, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and the baptism that I am baptized with, you will be baptized. I was observing the fact Jesus was put to death, and here we see that James is also put to death for the cause of Christ. Now, somebody asked me afterwards, what about John? Was John also put to death? Does anybody know how John died? To Patmos? Okay. Okay, that's right. Um, the last thing that the Bible tells us about John is he has been exiled for his Christianity, but um, we are not told specifically in the Bible what happened to him. If you look at secular history, there's uh, conflicting information. Uh, one that I read that seems to be the most credible is that John was arrested in Ephesus and he faced martyrdom. Uh, he was put to death for his Christianity. So. If that's the case, then exactly what happened to Jesus, what happened to James, is the same thing that happened to John. But uh, the Bible doesn't say when you start reading the historical accounts, you've got to be careful with that. But uh, that's uh, one of the things that history says. Okay, we get into Acts chapter 12. Herod kills James. He arrests Peter. Why did he arrest Peter, by the way? What's that? To please the Jews. He killed James, and what he saw was it made the Jews happy. And so he said, get Peter also. Why? He's just that heart of a guy. If he thought it was going to get him some political gain, he'll kill somebody else. Now, I spent some time last week talking about the uh, political uh, family of the Herods. And if you will look here at this... Uh, can't see. I'm going to have to change this so that I can see it a little better here. The family tree of Herod, Herod the Great, this is him up at the top here. Herod the Great is the one that slaughtered the infants and tried to kill baby Jesus. If you look at the one that is in red here, this is Herod Antipas. This is the son of Herod the Great. He is the one that killed John the Baptist. If you look at the one in the, oops, this is the, the wrong one. Here we go. Here we go. All right. If you look at uh, this one in yellow, Herod Agrippa, he is the one that would be the grandson of Herod the Great. He is the one we're talking about right now who kills James and he arrests Peter. And if you look at the one down here in the square, this is Herod Agrippa II. He is the one who says to Paul later, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. Now, I mentioned to you just in passing last week that the Herod family is a messed up family. If you notice this, I'll zoom out a little bit so you can see it. See the structure here. At the top is Herod the Great, and you get all the way down here to the orange square, and next to Herod Agrippa is Bernice. What relationship would Herod Agrippa and Bernice have, according to this? 
family tree. What's that? They are brother and sister, but they were more than that. Um, they also had an incestuous relationship that was going on. History says that. They tried to keep it hidden, but history says that. And so you've got murderers in the family. They murder their own family. You've got incest going on in this family. And I wanted to make one correction because if you look at the red circle here in the middle, this is Herod Antipas. If you look at the purple circle, this is Herod Philip. And then you see the uh, square over here, the pink square. The red circle, Herod Antipas is the one who puts John the Baptist to death. He is married to Herodias in the pink, and he had stolen his brother's wife. His brother is in the purple circle. This is Philip. Now, if you come over to here, this is Salome. This is the daughter of Herodias. Salome is the one who danced for Herod Antipas, and it pleased him so much, he said, I'll give you whatever you want, up to half the kingdom. And she then goes to her mother, Herodias, and says, what should I ask for? And Herodias is furious at John because he said, you're in an unscriptural marriage. And so she tells Salome, tell him you want John killed. So Salome then goes to Herod Antipas and says, I want the head of John the Baptist. Well, Herod Antipas was very disappointed about that, but he lived up to his word and he killed John the Baptist. Now, the reason I bring that up, I've got it correct on the chart, but uh, it was pointed out to me last week that I said it wrong. I stated that Salome was the uh, one who, I stated that Herodias was the one that did the dancing, and it's Salome who was doing the dancing. So I wanted to um, correct that. All right, so this is Herod Agrippa I. He's in the yellow circle. He is the one that kills James. He arrests Peter. Now we get into Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So now let's pick up at verse number 3. David, if you don't mind reading for us, and I'll let you go for a minute just to bring us up to speed here. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. That was during the days of the unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. Okay, let's stop there. Peter's been arrested. He has been put into what appears to be solitary confinement. He is in the inner prison. It seems that he has four guards assigned to him. You cannot imagine that every prisoner would have had four guards assigned to him. So 
Why are they so carefully guarding Peter? No doubt it is because of Acts chapter 5 when Peter was in prison and he, he ended up escaping. They don't want that to happen again. And so what they're doing is they are ensuring he is not going to escape. If you've got a guard on each side of you and you are chained and then you've got another gate and there's a guard and then you've got to go further and there's another gate and there's a guard and then there's a gate to get outside to the road, you're not going anywhere. Or at least that's what they are confident of. So we're told that Peter's asleep, an angel touches him on the side and says, Peter, get up and follow me. And it says his chains just fell off. Several things come to my mind when I hear this. Number one, what's going on with these soldiers at this point? Yeah, they're, they're sleeping. Do they not hear the chains fall? Do they not hear the conversation taking place? Whatever's happening, they don't hear any of this. And so, Peter, we're going to be told, Peter even thinks this might be a vision. He's not sure what's going on, but he does what the angel says, and he follows him outside of the prison. All right, let's keep going. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Okay, let's stop there. So he follows the angel. The Bible says Peter doesn't even know if it's real. Peter thinks he might be seeing a vision. Peter's very confused by this. It made me think about um, after I had my accident and I woke up in the hospital. Of course, I've just had uh, a major surgery. They've got drugs in me. They wake me up, and they tell me, that I've severed my spinal cord and I've become, I'm going to be a paraplegic. You have a hard time wrapping your mind around that. And you're thinking, nah. And you go back to sleep thinking, this was a dream. And you wake up a little bit later and it's still the case, but you're kind of out of it and you're thinking, nah, this is a dream. And this happens for about 24 hours until you wake up and you realize, this is not a dream. This that has happened that is so shocking is actually the truth. Well, I can kind of relate to Peter. He has this very unusual thing happen, and he is very confused. He's uh, been awakened from a deep sleep. He follows the angel. When the gate to the city or the gate to the prison opens and he walks out on the street, at that point the angel departs and he realizes that this is real. All right, let's uh, keep reading. And, and when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Okay, several things here. After he's out in the street, he decides, I'm going to go to the house of Mary. How many Marys are there in the Bible? What's that? More than three. Seven? There's six that I know of. 
Um, there's a lot of Marys in the Bible. This was, it's a common name now, but apparently it was a very common name then. This is the only time that this particular Mary is mentioned, and it says that she is the mother of John Mark. We learn some things about the family relationship in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10. She's the, the mother of John Mark, which means that she is related to Barnabas because Barnabas is the nephew, or um, John Mark is the nephew of Barnabas. And so we've got some family kinship going on here. The fact that Mary is mentioned as being her house leads some people to think that she is a widow. She is maybe a wealthy widow because apparently she's got a house that's large enough that she's got all these Christians meeting in her house. She's got a courtyard. She's got a servant girl. And so people assume that it's her house, she's a widow, and that she is very well off. It is interesting to me that the Christians are gathered together late at night for what purpose? Yeah, they're praying for Peter. I've thought about this, and I've wondered, how often do we do that sort of thing today? You see the first century church doing that, but... We don't, I mean, we gather together and we have services and we'll have a prayer at the beginning and we have a prayer at the end, but how often do we get together at someone's house or gather together at the church building just for the purpose of praying for people? I think, in fact, when I was at North Charleston from time to time on a Sunday night, we would just, that's what we would do for services. We just, we just pray. And I think it's something you see more in the Bible than what we practice. And it's certainly a good thing to do. Well, they're praying for Peter. So Peter gets there while they're praying for Peter. Verse 13. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came and answered. Just answers. as a side note, the word Rhoda means rose. Tradition says that she was a Christian and that uh, shortly thereafter, she is put to death for her Christianity. Again, that's history, but uh, interesting fact. Verse 14. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Okay. Peter's knocking at the door. She, how does she know it's Peter? Okay, she doesn't see him. She recognizes his voice. He's left prison. He's standing out here in the street. She's knock, he's knocking on the door. She hears his voice. What would you expect her to do? You would think she'd open the door, but she's so excited. The Bible says, for joy, she runs back and says, hey, I left Peter standing outside. Peter is standing at the gate. All right, verse 15. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Okay, when she tells them that, Peter's at the door, they said, no, he's not. And they, in the, it's written in the imperfect. She is continuing with this. She's trying to persuade them. He is at the door, and they said, you're, you're beside yourself. I mean, you're crazy. There's no way Peter's standing at the door. What does that make you think when you read that? Yeah, it kind of makes me wonder about that. Um, how much confidence were they having in their prayer? They're praying that the Lord would, they're praying for Peter. Uh, I would think that the Lord's going to release Peter. Peter is released. He shows up at the door. Rhoda says, 
Peter's at the door and they said, no, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. You're crazy. There's no way he is at the door to the point that they said, it is his angel. Now, what does that mean when he says it is his angel? Some people think that this um, lends support for the idea that there are guardian angels. I do not believe that the Bible teaches that. It seems that Jews in the first century did believe in guardian angels, but they believed a number of things that weren't right. Uh, do you remember in John chapter 9 when they asked Jesus, there was a man who was blind there, and they said, who sinned that this man should be born blind? Was it him or his parents? What did they believe? Okay. Well, I've always wondered who sinned that he should be born blind, him or his parents? How could it have been him? How could he have sinned that he would be born blind? That's a strange question. But they want to know whose sin caused him to be born blind. They were, in their minds, they thought that blindness was the result of somebody sinning. Were they right about that? No, and Jesus is going to tell them that they're not right about that. But they had a misconception about that, and I think they had a misconception about this also. So they rejected the idea that it's Peter, verse 16. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Okay, they open the door, they're astonished, they're shocked. It really is Peter. Then it says he motioned to them with his hand to keep silent. Apparently there's so much clamoring, they're so excited about this that Peter has to, you know, calm down, calm down, listen to me. And he says, go and tell James and the brethren. I thought James was put to death at the beginning of this chapter. Okay, obviously it's a different James, right? This seems to be James, the brother of Jesus, that he is talking about. James, the brother of Jesus, seemed to be a prominent... He wasn't one of the apostles, but he was a prominent character in the church in Jerusalem. It seems that he was an elder in the church of Jerusalem, and he was a man who um, had a leading personality. So uh, he says, go and tell them what has happened. All right, next verse. We're going through this kind of quickly because there's not a lot of deep doctrine here. We're just kind of being told the story. Then, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. Okay. It's interesting the way the Bible will say something just in passing. Um, as soon as it was day, there is no small stir amongst the soldiers. I was thinking, no doubt. <laughs> what do you think if you are one of these soldiers who has been sitting next to him. You've got a soldier on each side, and you wake up in the morning, and he's gone. What's going through your mind? I'm in for it. Um, what else is going through your mind? Yes, absolutely. They were responsible. Um, they're going to be in big trouble. That's why he said, I'm in for it. What else are you thinking? Okay, well, that might have gone through their mind, maybe. You know, the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, after the uh, earthquake rocks the place and they're still there and their chains fall off, 
it makes him ask the question, what must I do to be saved? So maybe. What else would go through your mind? What would you have to be wondering at this point? Okay. I guess I'm playing guess what I'm thinking, but I would have to be asking the question, I would be thinking, how did he get out of this? <laughs> how did he get, where did he go? How did he get out of this? We're, we're sitting here. The gates uh, are still here. All the soldiers, how did he get out of his chains? They're laying here. How did he get past three gates and four soldiers? I want to know the answer to this. How did this happen? And then I would be thinking, we're in big trouble. You know, what are we going to do about this? How do we explain this? Panic mode is setting in. The Bible simply says there's no small stir amongst the soldiers. No doubt. Verse 19. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Okay. Herod searched for him. He's got the guards out searching. They can't find him. He examined the guards. What do you think that involves when he's examining the guards? Maybe torture? What's he saying to them? Okay. How could you let this man go? Do you think that maybe he's thinking that they're in on it somehow? Yeah, because how else could he have gotten out? You've got two choices. Either they're in on it, or God is real, what Peter is saying. I don't really know how it could be anything else. Because you've got all these guards, all these gates. Either they have assisted him in doing this, or God has done this. I don't see how any other option could possibly be the case. Now, when he is examining them, what is going through their mind? It's got to be desperation. They've got to be insisting, look, we didn't do it. We, we, we swear to you we didn't do this. We promise. We were here in the morning. The chains were there. What do you say? No matter what they said, they knew they were in trouble. You know what else went through my mind? The guards who were guarding the tomb when the body of Jesus was there, what happened to them after Jesus escaped or after he arose? I won't say escaped, after he arose. Okay. Were they put to death? Okay, they were not put to death. This is interesting. Why were these guys put to death, but the soldiers guarding the tomb were not put to death? What's that? Okay, that's probably got something to do with it, but don't you think it had to do with the fact that when uh, those soldiers told their story, they were bribed and said, say this instead? The people knew why they were saying what they were saying. The whole thing was a concoction. The whole thing was a bribe. They knew it was a lie. In this case, I've got the idea that uh, Herod, he thinks they're lying. In, if I were him and I did not believe in God, I would have to be persuaded they had to be in on it. Okay, that's true. Uh, that's true. Um, either they're in on it or they are such pathetic soldiers, they need to be put to death anyway, right? All right, we're told that he is going to leave, and he is going to go to Tyre and Sidon. 
Can you see this on the map very well? Tyre and Sidon are very prominent cities in the New Testament. In fact, the Old Testament too. They're both mentioned a lot of times. They were trade cities. They were very wealthy cities. Apparently, Herod had control over these cities, and Herod was involved in a dispute, a beef with them at this point. And it seems that maybe he was cutting off the food supplies to punish them. This is a uh, zoom in a little bit, uh, and I put a passage here to the side, Matthew eleven twenty one. Remember, Jesus says, Woe unto you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. Tyre and Sidon were evil cities, and Jesus mentions them. I thought this was interesting, too, because I pulled up to see what Tyre and Sidon might look like today. And this is a picture of Sidon today, and obviously it's in ruins, but if you can use your imagination and think this is what it looks like today, what might this port city have looked like when it was a thriving, bustling city in the first century? So Herod goes here. He's involved in a dispute with these people. Verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. Okay, they're trying to straighten this thing out. The king has cut off their food, and so he comes there, and they go to the king's aid, Blastus, and they said, can you work out something for us? We've got to bring this thing to an end. And so Blastus is going to be the, the go-between and uh, trying to work this thing out. All right, uh, verse 21. So on a set day, Herod, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. Okay, a certain day comes. History says this might have been Caesar's birthday. Herod comes out. Josephus, who was a first century Jewish historian, says that he was clothed in silver clothing, that it was glistening in the sun. And he comes out and he gives a speech. Josephus says that he went on and on and on. It was a long-winded speech. Verse 22. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. All right. He's going on and on and on, and the people are shouting, oh, you are so awesome. It's like we're listening to the voice of a God, not a man. No one could be as brilliant and speak as well as you do. What's going on here? What's that? Okay, absolutely, that's true. He's eating this up, isn't he? Why are the people saying this? Is he really this good of a speaker, do you think? I think absolutely. You've got flattery going on. They're kissing up to the king. Why are they doing this? What's that? Okay, they may be hungry. The king has cut off their food supply. They're wanting to fix this thing, so they've gone to blast us, and they've said, can you do something to try to fix this? So the king starts giving a speech, and they just start gushing over him. Oh, it's like listening to a god. You are so amazing. We can't believe you are so awesome. And 
They're just going on. Does he like it? Is it working? Is he going to, if this had not ended the way it did, do you think he would have changed this and fixed the food supply problem? Yeah, I think so. They're winning him over because he likes this. He likes the fact that they're bragging on him and telling him how awesome he is. All right? Josephus says in his um, history, Antiquities, he says at this point that the king started feeling a severe pain inside of him, in his stomach. Verse 23. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. This is interesting. Josephus says he started feeling a pain inside of him, severe. The Bible says that he was eaten of worms and died. Did worms start eating him? I tell people that what happens is they bragged on him and he was eating it up, and then he was eaten up. According to history, he spent five agonizing days and he died five days later at the age of 54. They were saying, oh, this is the voice of a god. Did he stop them and say, no, 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 I am not a god? That's not what happened. What he was saying is, oh, you're right. <laughs> I mean, he is loving it. And because of the pride, and he is so full of himself, God punishes him very quickly. Does this mean you can't compliment someone when they do a good job speaking? No, it doesn't mean that. I have known speakers sometimes that if you go and you say, you've done a good job, they'll say, no, 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 to God be the glory. I don't believe that this is what we're being taught here. Keep in context, they were calling him a god, and he is eating this alive. This doesn't mean you can't compliment uh, the teacher or the speaker or something like this. We ought to do that. Barnabas was a man who was an encourager and complimented. We need to learn a lesson here about pride and about someone taking credit that belongs to God. And that's what this guy was doing. Okay, we'll stop right there. The next verse says the word of God grew and multiplied. That's interesting. All right, we'll stop there, pick up next week at verse 24. Thank you.